Well, our first uh, scripture reading this morning is from the book of Genesis, as I've been moving through uh, this book since the fall, and we have come to what is the uh, penultimate of uh, my sermon series. Penultimate meaning what? Just the second to the last. That's right. It's a fancy way for saying that. And this morning we're looking at Genesis uh, chapter 33. The first uh, passage will be verses 1 through 11. I invite you to follow along on the screen. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And finally, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, who do you mean, or what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor with my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother, keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please, if I find favor with you, then accept my present from my hand, for truly to see your face is like seeing the face of God, since you have received me with such favor. Please accept my gift that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have everything I want. So he urged him, and he took it. And friends, this is the word of the Lord, Thanks be to God. Our second uh, scripture reading is a continuation of the story that I began in uh, Genesis chapter 33, so I'll pick it up in verse 12. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way, and I will go alongside you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail, and that the flocks and herds which are nursing are a care for me. And if they are overdriven for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly, according to the pace of the cattle that are before me, and according to the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord in Sair. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, why should my Lord be so kind to me? So Esau returned that day on his way to Sair, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the place is called Succoth. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there are many uh, interesting storylines to tonight's game. And one that has gotten a lot of publicity is the story of Travis Kelsey, who's the starting tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs and his brother uh, Jason, who is the starting center for the Philadelphia Eagles. They are the first pair of brothers to face each other as players in the Super Bowl. And it dominated this past Monday's uh, media session. Now, their mother, Donna, was also on hand, and she was wearing a half Eagles, half 
chief's jersey while handing to her two sons homemade chocolate chip cookies. Well, Travis Kelsey, the uh, starting tight end for the Chiefs, was asked, who won the fights when you were kids? And he said that Jason won every fight but one, and that was the last one. I'm not even going to say I won, but I definitely gave it my all, and he stopped fighting me after that. I held my own. And there were plenty of backyard football and baseball and basketball games where the brothers had these dreams of someday being pros. Now think about this. They are facing each other tonight in the nation's biggest sporting event. Well, uh, Jacob has been on the run now for 20 years. He would rather run than than to have to face the music, face his brother, and face the truth. As someone once said, the truth hurts, not the searching after, but the running from. It's been 20 years since he tricked his father Isaac and stole the blessing right out from under his older brother Esau's nose. And so Jacob is forced to flee in the middle of the night from Esau, who is out for blood. And Esau, along with his Edomite army, has been looking in every cave and under every rock, trying to get his hands on Jacob. And finally, after 20 years, Jacob now has to face his brother, along with 400 of his soldiers. And all those memories come rushing back into Jacob's mind. He remembers the words of his mother, who she overheard Esau say, the days of grieving for my father are nearly over. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Well, as you might imagine, Jacob is as nervous as a cat in a marble hallway. The only way this is going to end well is for him and Esau to reconcile. The only way that this is going to work is if Jacob and Esau can be peacemakers. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever noticed that peacemakers tend to have a rather short lifespan? (laughs) Mohandas Gandhi, the great advocate of nonviolence in in India's struggle to be free of British rule, was killed in cold blood by an Indian nationalist back in 1948. Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream of peace, but he was shot by a sniper while out on a balcony of a Memphis hotel on April 4th, 1968. Anwar Sadat, the great Egyptian leader, worked bravely to bring peace between the Arab world and the state of Israel, but he was cut down in a hail of bullets by Muslim extremists in 1981. Yitzhak Rabin was on his way to to bridging the gap of peace between Palestinians and Israelites when his life was ended by a Jewish extremist in 1995. One time, Abraham Lincoln was hosting a dinner party. This was after the Civil War, and it was for some former Confederate soldiers when a northern woman came up to him and she made it quite clear that she was upset at him for showing this warmth and kindness to these southerners. And so she said, Mr. President, these are your enemies. You shouldn't invite them to dinner. You should destroy them. And it is said that Lincoln replied, Madam, don't I destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? 
And yet, as Lincoln worked tirelessly to bring about the 13th Amendment, which was the abolition of slavery, he wound up dying at the hand of an assassin's bullet at Ford's Theater. Well, friends, you and I are here today because of another leader who came to bring peace, and he, too, paid for it with his life. You see, in the first century, a king would ride in on a white stallion whenever he was entering into a city to conquer it. But if the king's intentions were peaceful, he would ride in on a donkey. You know, and I know, that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on a donkey. But more important than the donkey is that peace comes from God. And the greatest hope of the Old Testament was that the Messiah would come and bring peace. Remember that great prophecy that comes to us from the Old Testament, from Isaiah. Unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. And then we find out that he shall be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, in the Hebrew mindset, that which comes last is considered the greatest. And so according to that principle, what is the greatest quality of the Messiah? Well, we know he'll be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, but most of all and greatest of all, he'll be the prince of peace. In our story from Genesis chapter 33 this morning, we have what some say is one of the most touching scenes in all of the Bible. These two brothers, Jacob and Esau, finally, after 20 years, make peace with each other. They meet, they embrace, they kiss, they weep, they forgive each other. They catch up on all that lost time as Jacob introduces his wife and all those kids. Imagine a broken family is made whole again. After 20 years, there is peace again within this family. It is what I'm calling a Super Bowl of reconciliation. Now, believe it or not, we already did that here earlier in our worship service. You see, we have this little ritual that we do here at Chestnut Level on Sunday mornings. It's a moment of what I call holy chaos, where we pass the peace, and we ask you to meet and greet each other and pass the very peace of God. And just so you're wondering, this isn't something that John cooked up in his lab or some trendy thing that comes out of California. Greeting is to be a part of worship. In fact, this passing of the peace is actually found in the ancient liturgies of the church as a way of expressing the reconciliation that Jesus Christ brings to a community of faith. And as we receive the spirit of that great Prince of Peace in our hearts, you know what happens? we become people of peace as well. And yet, and yet, how often is it when we're shaking hands with people on Sunday morning that we engage in peace faking instead of peace making? We've all seen, perhaps we've even worn the classic phony Christian smile that masks our rather uncharitable thoughts, like, hi, how are you? I'm so angry with you, I could just spit. <laughs> C.S. Lewis once said, you show up to church on Sunday, and here are the very people you've been trying to avoid all week long. 
G.K. Chesterton said, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because they are generally the same people. We have this feeling that if we can just keep a lid on our anger, somehow we're, we're peacemakers. The Bible has set the bar much, much higher than that. The biblical word for peace is the word shalom. And that does not simply mean absence of conflict or avoidance of war. So when a Jewish friend says shalom, that person is wishing you wholeness, goodness, health and harmony with God and with all people. And so even though we know we need to sort of strive for peace, it's still not easy, is it? Reminds me what Mark Twain once said. He said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's those parts that I do understand. Well, for just a couple of minutes, I want to give you a couple of principles of peacemaking. First, if you have a conflict with somebody, please, by all means, go and speak directly to that person. If we could ever put a sign in every church across this country, you know what that sign would say? Do not gossip. Like when we hear a juicy rumor about someone, wouldn't it be better if we were just stop that person and say, listen, have you talked to this person about what you're saying? You see, I'm not the problem, which means I'm probably not the solution, and I have no business hearing what you're telling me. Why don't you go? and just talk to them yourself. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, John, I, I don't gossip. I share prayer requests with my friends. <laughs> Sometimes it can wind up being the very same thing. How many <laughs> conflicts could be avoided? How many conflicts could be resolved if we just went straight to that person involved and said, excuse me, to have a few, do you have a few minutes? I need to talk to you. Another principle, if you want to be a peacemaker, is that you can't simply stay on the sidelines. To simply sit back and deny there's any kind of a problem, that really is not peacemaking. The Apostle Paul said God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So a peacemaker is one who is willing to take a risk and step right in the middle of that conflict. So when I reconcile with you, you reconcile with me, and what happens is that, that we discover that the ground at the foot of the cross is not green, it's level, it's flat. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God reconciled a broken humanity unto himself, and he has made us agents of reconciliation with one another. Now, did you know that there was a time, going back a few years, when the church played the primary role in the conflict of families and, yes, even society? So if there was this falling out between family members, you wouldn't call a lawyer. Instead, you'd call on the church to come and help. I heard about one church, ironically in Philadelphia, that takes its responsibility to resolve conflicts very seriously. In this particular case, a man in the church had abandoned his wife and children. So the church elders got together 
and they decided that they wanted to admonish the man for him to work on the relationship with his wife. And while they didn't know where he was, someone said that he drove a bus for the Philadelphia Metro line. And so one of the elders in the church did some research. The next day, that elder got on the bus route, the one that the man was driving, sat in the seat directly behind him, touched him on the shoulder and said, Brother John, it's me. And that driver's back went stiff and he probably thought, oh no. Now the elder sitting behind the driver was very careful not to cause an accident and he waited until the driver stopped at a traffic light. And then he leaned forward, he put his hand on his shoulder, he said, Brother John, you've got to go home. You've got to go home to your wife and kids. They miss you. They need you. You need to go home. And when the light turned green, that elder stopped talking and he sat back down in his seat. And he continued this pattern at every single traffic light. And finally, after three hours, the bus driver pulled over to the side of the road, got on the phone, called his wife and pleaded, honey, will you take me back? I can't stand this anymore. <laughs> the point is this, we, you, me, us, have to be willing to be peacemakers in the lives of people. So if you're someone here who has kind of wandered off the path, if you're someone here who may feel like a lost sheep, let me ask you a question. Does anyone love you enough to tap you on the shoulder and say, you need to go home. The Lord wants you back. And then finally, to be a peacemaker is to see people as if you were seeing the very face of God. After everybody is introduced to each other, Jacob says to Esau, I want you to take this gift that I have for you. And Esau says, no, I really don't want anything. And Jacob says, oh, yes, you do. Please, please take this. I've got all I need already. God has been very good to me. And then Jacob says in verse 10, for truly to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Can you imagine running away from your brother for 20 years, and when you finally meet and come nose to nose with each other, what you see is not a monster, but indeed the very face of God. C.S. Lewis was once lecturing on heaven, and at one point in his lecture, he had everyone in the room turn to the person sitting on their right, and he said, just think, that person on your right is in eternity someday going to be a creature of such unutterable beauty that if you were to see them now as they will be then, you would be sorely tempted to fall down and worship them. And then C.S. Lewis added, shouldn't we begin treating them that way now? Jacob and Esau waited 20 years to see each other in a whole new way. As peacemakers, we need to see and treat each other in a whole new way. Now, one way to help us see people in that whole new way is to pray a prayer that is probably the most famous peacemaking prayer in all the world. It's the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. You've heard it before. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. And I know just about everybody in this room, but I don't know all of your situations and circumstances in life. 
And maybe there's an area of conflict right now in your life. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's with your siblings. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's with your business. Maybe, maybe it's right here at Chestnut Level in the church. And so we often have this tendency to get very defensive, say, well, well God, it's not, it's not my fault. It's, it's them. And you know, that may be very well true. It may not be your fault. This conflict may not be your fault, but that's kind of not the point, is it? The point is, what can we do to make it better? Well, friends, we can offer to God a prayer. A prayer that we would be agents of reconciliation, people of peace who unite and reunite with each other in truth and love. And so I want to invite you to join me in prayer that the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ may open you up to the Holy Spirit, making all of us instruments of peace and agents of reconciliation. Let us pray together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. And now, O oh God, we pray this all in the name of the great Prince of Peace himself, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.